Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on Him and pardon me. Beautiful, beautiful hymn. This morning we're going to be looking at Proverbs 18.21. We're going to be looking at how to use our words wisely. So if you're thinking, man, we got to talk about pride last week and words this week. Aren't you glad you came this morning? Uh, obviously, we are big on pointing people to Jesus and preaching the gospel. But part of coming to Jesus is coming to him like a good physician. And a good physician identifies the problem so he can then provide the cure. And so this morning, we're going to spend some time looking at our words and how we use them sinfully. And what scripture has to say to us so we can then see how Jesus redeems us from that. Proverbs 18.21 says this. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruits. Let's go for the Lord and ask his help in understanding and applying it this morning. Lord Jesus, when it comes to our words, Lord, none of us stand any higher than the other. None of us are exempt from being cut by your word on this topic. And so, Lord, we pray that your word would lay us open, uh, that it would reveal our sin, the way that we misuse our words. And, Lord, ultimately, you would speak a better word to us that redeems and transforms us. Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. You've likely heard that phrase at some point. I remember the first time I heard it. I was watching Looney Tunes, and Marvin the Martian said it. Perhaps your parents said this to you, or maybe you've said it to your children. But the logic behind that phrase goes something like this, right? You can't ignore someone balling up a fist and punching you in the nose. But you can choose to ignore harsh words. The problem is that words are not nearly as ignorable nor are they as inconsequential as we like to pretend they are. Right? A punch to the nose harms the body, and perhaps it wounds the pride a bit too, but both will heal in time. On the other hand, a harsh, careless word goes much deeper, and it cuts the heart. See, words have a way of sticking with us and shaping the way we see ourselves. Words are powerful. But it isn't just something we know by our experience. It's actually rooted in our theology if you look back at Genesis 1-1, you think back to the creation narrative. When God sets out to create the universe, how does he create it? By speaking. And then we get to Genesis 1-27. At the pinnacle of creation, God creates mankind in his own image. Now, because God is spirit, it means he doesn't have a body. So being made in God's image doesn't mean that we physically resemble God. It means we have certain characteristics that are God-like. And one of those characteristics is the ability to speak. This ability is something God gave us to steward. It's something he gave us to use for the purpose of praising him, of cultivating relationships and building trust and having dominion over the world. Friends, words are powerful because God made them powerful. Unfortunately, what God made good, sin has corrupted. Words were created to be tools, but after sin entered the world... Words became weapons. The resulting damage is far greater than we can imagine. James says of the tongue, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And this is why Solomon wants us to think about how we use our words. He wants to teach us wisdom in this area. Proverbs addresses our speech, our words, over 90 times. 
more than it addresses our sexuality, our family life, our relationships, our pride, and even our money. Pride, or excuse me, Proverbs says a great deal about our words because I believe if we're going to learn wisdom, Proverbs is telling us it must begin with the way we speak. And so here's our main idea and what we're going to be exploring this morning is that the words we speak, whether in person, online, or over text, will only either kill or give life. So we're going to look at how our words kill and how our words give life and then conclude with God's words to the wounder and the wounded. So first, let's look at how words kill. So we're going to jump around Proverbs like we have been in the past and sort of mine for gold in some different passages. But the first way we see that we misuse our words, that we use them as weapons rather than tools, is in Proverbs 12, 22. It says this, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. We seldom think of lying as a huge deal. Husbands and wives lie to one another. Friends lie to one another. Politicians and media members speak in half-truths. Subconsciously, we tend to think of lying as somewhat of a normal part of our life. And while it may not bother us, Scripture makes it abundantly clear that it is utterly repulsive to God. Why is lying such an evil thing? Think about it, right? If words were made to build trust and intimacy... And honest words do those things, right? It it provides the foundation for our relationships. Lying does the exact opposite. Lying allows us to hide from one another. And even if we get good at it, lying always produces a certain hypocrisy in us that rots the bones and makes us resemble the father of lies rather than the creator God we were made to reflect. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. But speaking lies is also... Part of the problem. Proverbs 17.4 says this, An evildoer listens to wicked lips, and a liar gives ear to a mischievous tongue. When we give our ear to lies and juicy gossip and the like, we become full participants with those things. Friends, listening to lies is itself lying. When we become the kind of person that is an easy ear to gossip to and complain to, a hero for those with hurt feelings, a rallying point for complaints, we are doing just as much damage as the liar themselves. We are complicit in their sin and the division that it creates. But listening to this kind of thing is so easy for us to do, right? It's an intoxicating temptation because we love gossip. We love negative information about people. We love controversy. We find it delicious. Proverbs 18.8 says, The words of a whisperer are like a delicious morsel. They go down into the inner parts of the body. Friends, this kind of backbiting, this participation with the sin of the tongue, it wreaks havoc in relationships and it regularly splits churches far more than some of our banner sins like adultery do. Words are powerful. But words do not have to be intentional to be sinful or deadly. They can simply be careless. Proverbs twelve eighteen says, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Maybe I'm alone in this, but I would say with almost 100% certainty that the words that have hurt me the most and the words that I have used to hurt other people the most were not premeditated and intentional, 
It was something said in the heat of the moment. Rash words hurt. Rash words are like sword thrusts. Like Kevin mentioned earlier, when we examine our, what's at the root of that anger, it's helpful for us in those moments where those outbursts happen. Afterwards, when we kind of settle down and God's Spirit brings conviction, it's helpful for us to, to sort of ask the question, what was underlying that anger? What was I trying to protect? What was I trying to gain? What was I trying to control that caused me to lash out like that? And oftentimes, this angry outburst, it reveals a heart that is entitled, one that wants to control. But these angry words are like violent sword thrusts, and they create lasting damage that kill the soul. When we lash out in angry words, we are doing with our tongue what a murderer does with his hands. That's what Jesus teaches in Matthew 5.22, and it's also why he says that everyone will give an account for every careless word that we speak. Next way we misuse the tongue, Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-three. He says, Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. Flattery. It's one we don't often think of as being a particular dangerous use of the tongue. But at its core, it's, it's lying, right? It's half-truths. Flattery is sugarcoating. It's afraid of saying what needs to be said because what it wants most desperately is to be liked. And so rather than speak the truth, we speak half-truths or just outright falsehoods. And God actually flips this logic on its head. He says wise, godly people actually appreciate the truth when it's spoken in love more than they appreciate the half-truths of flattery. So flattery is as self-defeating as it is dishonest. And then when we revisit our main verse, again, Proverbs eighteen twenty-one: death and life are in the power of the tongue. See, up until now, we've been talking about the ways that the tongue inflicts damage at an emotional level. But folks, there are a myriad of publicized suicide notes that let us know that words do not stop at the emotional level. They can and often do cause physical harm and death. Words are powerful. They contain tremendous power. We can do great damage to those around us and to the community we are a part of with them. But just as they are unrivaled in their potential for damage, they are also unrivaled in their ability to give life. This brings us to our second point, that words give life. Several of the Proverbs we've already looked at address the sort of dual potential that words give us. Again, Proverbs eighteen twenty one: death and life are in the power of the tongue. Proverbs twelve eighteen again, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Why are the words of the wise able to bring healing? Because where the unwise speaks without thinking, the wise chooses their words carefully. They do this because they're more concerned with avoiding injury to others than they are about winning an argument. The words of the wise can bring healing because their aim is peace. Jesus in Matthew 5, 9 says this, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. What does this look like practically? How do we move from being people who, who wound with our words to people who give life with our words? A few exhortations here from Scripture. First, learn to say you're sorry. Where sinful words sow discord between us and other people, we need to do the hard thing and be the first to apologize. 
Paul Connor uh, once gave me some marriage advice, but I think it's really appropriate for pretty much every relationship we have. He told me, he said, he said, now boy, make sure that you are always the first to apologize to your wife. Don't apologize for things you didn't do, but be the first to go and apologize for what you did do. We don't like to do this because it requires humility on our part. Right? When someone wounds us, when there's damage to a relationship, the last thing we want to do is approach that person and stoop to serve them. To admit our wrong, even if they're not going to reciprocate that. But that's exactly what Jesus tells us to do. Matthew five twenty three through 24. He says, so if you're offering your gift at the altar and they remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come back and offer your gift. Time simply doesn't heal all wounds. And if we want to see healing and restoration in our relationships, then we must be willing to apologize quickly, specifically, and genuinely. When we pursue peace, Jesus said that we will be called sons of God. And friends, I, this kind of culture in the church, this kind of gospel culture in the home, it will put the love of Christ on display in a way that is compelling for a watching world. Because this goes so against the grain of the world around us. Secondly, not only learn to say I'm sorry, resist the temptation to be the garbage collector, and instead speak up when someone's reputation is being attacked. If we are the people who constantly have someone coming to us to complain because they know that we will listen, if we have people coming to us to gossip because we know that we won't say anything, we're doing great damage, as we mentioned earlier. And so what Proverbs tells us to do is to speak up when someone's reputation is being attacked. Proverbs 31, 8 and 9 say this, Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Friends, you'll know a way to root out gossip in a church. When someone approaches you with gossip or wants to simply denigrate a fellow image bearer and brother in Christ, quickly and humbly speak up. Just tell them, hey, listen, I'm sorry, but I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear anything that you're willing to say to me, but you're not willing to say to them. And it's not just that we pass that off and treat it like it's not our responsibility. If they're just going to go gossip to someone else. Instead, look at them and say, hey, I'm sorry that you've been hurt and there's tension in that relationship, but that person's right over there. Can we go grab them after the service and let's, let's go sit down and talk about this and get this resolved? It's how we become peacemakers. Third thing is commit to build others up. Ephesians 4.29 says this, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. See, as sinners, we default to being experts in the weaknesses and shortcomings of other people. It is our default setting. And in his instruction to the church in Ephesus, Paul doesn't tell them simply to stop using this kind of speech that tears down. He gives them a better use for their words. A goal to pursue. Building other people up. And because we don't default to this position, it must be something that we commit to and pray for strength to carry out. It means we will actively have to choose to be experts in the strengths of others and encourage them. And now maybe you're thinking, all right, Zach, no, wait a minute. You know, we're supposed to be all fluffy and encouraging all the time and never say an honest word. Absolutely not. 
Proverbs doesn't advocate for that. Scripture doesn't advocate for that. Proverbs 28, 23 again. He says, whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. Friends, there are times when we all need to be corrected. We have blind spots where we can't see the sin patterns in our lives and we can't see the way those sins affect other people. And the church community where we have all taken vows to one another, that should be the safe place where we can receive and give that correction. But Ephesians 4.15 gives us a guiding principle for how to go about it. It says that we should always speak the truth in love. We should always be doing it with the other person in mind, aimed at building them up, even when we are correcting them. And see, encouraging one another is what actually provides the context and trust for those moments of correction. When we intentionally go out of our way to identify the strengths in other people and encourage them in the Lord, then on the rare occasion where we have to correct, where we have to offer a gentle rebuke, there's a context of trust and a relationship there where that can be heard. The person you are least likely to take a rebuke from is the person who has never encouraged you. So we want to be the kind of people that encourage others so that when we rebuke, it can be done in love and it can be received. When approaching other people to correct them, we should move towards them like God moves towards us. It's important to remember how God moves towards us. He is gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And when he wants us to change, God does not approach us and twist our arms or berate us. Rather, it is the kindness of the Lord that draws us to repentance. Friends, if we want to rebuke and correct, if you want to be a truthful person, be kind like God is kind. It's not the absence of honesty, but there is a way to speak truth and love. So what do we do now? Right, The Proverbs just level us. It lays bare all the things that we say that we shouldn't, and it reveals all the things that we should be saying but aren't. And the truth is that we have all been unwise with our words. None of us in this room stands above anyone else. We have all done damage to other people. We are all wounders. And so, third point here, God's word to the wounder and the wounded. Friends, if you're rightly feeling that you are a wounder, that you are a person who sinfully misuses words, I want you to know that God does not intend or desire for you to retreat back into shame. Nor does he want you to leave here doubled down, resolved to fix yourself and do better from here on out. Proverbs 8, 1 through 8 says this. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals she cries aloud. To you, O men, I call. And my cries to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things. And from my lips will come what is right. And from my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. And all the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. Notice how wisdom is personified here. As a person calling out to the sinful children of man, to the simple and the foolish, wisdom beckons us to come and to learn. Friends, wisdom for us is not something that is abstract. 
1 Corinthians 1.20, Paul says this, And because of him, you are in Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Wisdom put on flesh, and he came and dwelt among us, and his name is Jesus. When falsely accused, he remained silent. When cursed, he blessed. When wronged, he forgave without being prompted and without receiving it in return. Dear Saint, this Jesus came and bore your sin and your shame. Every sinful word, every lie, every flattering half-truth, every piece of gossip you've passed along, every rash word that cut down someone you cared about, he died for it all. Your sinful words, past, present, and future, have been blotted off your ledger. You are forgiven. But not only does he declare us not guilty, he invites us in. He invites us to learn from his wisdom. And he is no fool. He knows that your progress will not be quick, but he extends the invitation to walk with him, to learn from him. And as you pursue edifying other people with your speech you can rest assured that His Spirit will be at work within you, supplying you strength and guiding you moment by moment. And as you walk with Him, you will become like Him one degree at a time. But not only are we all wounders, we are also wounded, right? We've all said things, or we've all had things said to us or about us that cut deeply. And I want you to know that God speaks a more powerful word to you than anyone else has ever said to or about you. 1 Peter 1, 23-25 says this, Church, you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory is like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Church, only God's words last forever. And only his words can bring new life where there is death. God's word to you is the gospel. We talked about it when we read from our catechism earlier in the service. Your sins have been forgiven. You have been justified, adopted as a full and legitimate son and daughter of God. Who can bring a charge against you? Who can say anything about you that isn't swallowed up by the love of Christ that has been placed upon you? The same Jesus that invites us in to learn from his wisdom is the same Jesus that invites you to drink in this word of his gospel again and again and again. Where we endlessly recall these painful words said to us or about us, the gospel enters in and simply changes the subject. Let his better word shape you. Let it shape the way you see yourself. Let his word give you life. Rather than preaching the word said about you by someone else, preach what the gospel declares to be true of you to yourself. And lastly, if anyone here has never known this peace, if you've never trusted in Jesus for salvation and transformation, then my invitation to you is exactly the same. Hear wisdom calling you this morning and come and cast your flimsy trust upon his mighty shoulders and he will never cast out those who come to him. He will redeem you. 
and he will transform you into the kind of person who cultivates and gives life with his words. Let's pray.